Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hey, my name is Ethan, and I'm super glad that you are checking this out. We're actually in a series called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. I think we all probably wanna make better decisions in our life. And in this series, we're acknowledging this kind of main idea that you can actually make better decisions by asking great questions. And we can make good decisions in our life by asking questions. Now, the great thing about this series and this book with the same name by Andy Stanley is this. Regardless of what you believe about God, the church, the Bible, Jesus, this is great advice. This is great advice. So wherever you find yourself in your faith journey, I hope that you find today extremely helpful. Now, there's kind of this theme verse that has been running through this entire series and this book, and it's Proverbs 27, 12, which says this, the prudent see danger and take cover, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. So my hope for today is that we would all take a step toward asking better questions so we can make better decisions. But I want to start out today by asking a question. And maybe it's a question that, that you're not expect, that you don't expect coming, and it's this question right here. Why are people who have had too much to drink inclined to make bad decisions? What is it about intoxicated people that lead to poor decision-making skills? Maybe uh, you have some stories that you've heard or seen or been a part of. The reality is alcohol has this almost hypnotizing way of clouding our judgment. I mean, we've heard some stories, some, maybe some funny stories, maybe some sad stories, maybe some stories about your friends or about your family. Maybe you have some stories about yourself. So my question, why are people who've had too much to drink inclined to make bad decisions. Well, I think we can all agree that there is a correlation between alcohol consumption and bad decision, bad decision making, right? No one, to my knowledge, has ever said, man, I'm really glad that I was drunk or I probably would have made a bad decision. There's actually some things that happen inside of our brain when we consume alcohol. Now, I won't bore you with the scientific terms and I can't pronounce half of them anyway. But alcohol increases impulsiveness and it, it decreases inhibition, which detaches us from our consequences. It detaches us and it removes us from our future self and what our future self will have to deal with. Secondly, alcohol, it temporarily affects our prefrontal cortex. This is the part of your brain that connects the dots and thinks rationally. This is the part of your brain that doesn't fully develop until maybe you're 20 or 21 or 30 or 40. I'm not here to judge. The reality is alcohol can make us think, act, and decide like a child would think, act, and decide. 
Have you ever been out to a restaurant or, or maybe even a bar and you've seen someone who is really drunk and they're loud and they're extremely obnoxious? Well, they're probably not consciously thinking, well, I want to be loud and obnoxious. It just kind of happens. Inebriated people can't pay attention to the cues around them or the tension within them. And you may be wondering, why are you talking about being drunk right now? Isn't this a a series on better decision making, asking good questions? And this is not a sermon on why you should not drink. Here is my point. While inebriated people can't pay attention to the cues around them and the tension within them, we all, all of us, are often guilty of choosing to ignore the cues around us and the tension within us. We have all been there. We have all ignored our conscience. That monologue in your head, that, that voice inside of your head that says, hey, um, just a reminder, you don't know how to dance very well. And then we're like, yo, yeah, that's right. I don't know how to dance very well. Well, for someone who's been drinking, that voice is not there anymore. That voice has been silenced. Intoxicated people have silenced the monologue in their head, but sober people choose to ignore the monologue in their head. Intoxicated people can't help themselves. But sometimes sober people will not help themselves. And that leads me to my next question. We've been asking questions this entire series, and this is the question for today. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? When making good decisions, when, when faced with a decision, an important decision, does something not feel right? Is there a tension that deserves my attention at some point in your life? You've been faced with a big decision. And if you haven't, then at some point, I guarantee you will. But if you're watching this right now, you've been faced with a big decision. It probably wasn't your first. And I'm going to guess it's not your last. And while deciding what you were going to do, it probably created some, some tension within you. There was something about that decision-making process that felt uncomfortable or maybe just not right. You couldn't put your finger on it. You didn't know exactly what it was. You just knew something's off. Something is off. Before um, I accepted a job and moved to Utah back in 2017, I was actually um, pretty far along in the interview process uh, at another place. And it seemed like a great place. But the entire time, uh, every time I would speak to this Uh, this hiring manager and this person who I would be working very closely with. Every time we would talk, I just didn't feel, something felt off, right? I think it's a great church and I'm sure he's a great guy, but something about our relationship just didn't click. I saw some red flags popping up and it took my wife to uh, ask me some great questions for me to be able to verbalize, yeah, something's off. And I made a better decision in my opinion. I made a better decision, not only for myself, but for him as well. And like I'm saying, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. It's a great church. It just wasn't a fit for me. Great questions lead to great decisions. 
And don't misunderstand me. I don't do this very well. I don't do this very well. It takes other people usually for me to point out areas in my life. Hey, this might be a red flag for you. I'm not great at this. I ignore the tension. Why? Why do I ignore the tension? Because I don't like tension. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I run from tension as much as I can, or I push it down or pretend it's not there. Maybe you've experienced some of these red flags like I'm talking about. You've been on a date or in a job interview and that person's talking and it just seems off. These red flags are just popping up and you're not really sure why, but something just doesn't feel right. And you owe yourself, you owe yourself something. You owe it to yourself to pause and to stop and to think and to pay attention to that tension. Ask yourself, what about this decision bothers me? And let that decision, that, the thing that bothers you about the decision, let it sit. Let it get bigger to the point where you know exactly why it bothers you. If you're someone who works out, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've, you've done a really intense workout and the next morning you wake up and your body is like, why did you do this to me? And you have to realize, you have to figure out, why do I feel this way? Is it just me being sore or have I hurt myself? You have a tension, a literal tension in your body and you have to figure out, is it, is it pain from being sore or am I hurt? Now, maybe you don't work out, but you've experienced this before. If you've ever had a stomach ache, maybe you've had a stomach ache and you're like, okay, am I hungry or am I sick? I gotta figure it out. Am I, there's something not right with my stomach right now. Am I hungry? Am I sick? Do I need to get food? Do I need to use the bathroom? Do I need to take some medicine? I gotta figure out this tension. I need to pay attention to this tension. Now, some of you may be thinking, You've said the word feel a lot, like it feels this way. And I, I don't really make decisions based off emotion. Well, scientists would say that these red flag moments are our brains actually telling us, hey, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. There's something going on that's not right. These red flag moments are actually legitimate moments that we should be paying attention to. Or maybe you're like me and you're oblivious to a lot of red flags. You're just oblivious You've made decisions or you've brought some ideas to uh, maybe your spouse or your family or brought some ideas to your coworkers and it seems perfect. And then you have that one person, maybe your spouse, maybe your coworker, maybe it's your mom. And they're like, uh, did you think about that? That seems like a big gap or a big hole or a big red flag. Did you not think about that? I mean, this can be incredibly helpful but frustrating. But once again, pause and pay attention. Pause and pay attention to the red flags, to the discomfort, to the tension. If something bothers you, let it bother you. It's probably bothering you for a reason. Now, there's this incredible moment recorded in the Old Testament about a man named David. And when he was just a boy, um, a prophet came to his house. A prophet came to his house and told him and his family that God had chosen David to be the next king of Israel. 
the next king of Israel. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, can you imagine someone coming to your house and telling you that one of your kids was going to be the king? Which one? The one eating Play-Doh or the one licking the playground equipment? I mean, you got some great options here. So this prophet comes to David's house and says, David will be the next king of Israel. But here's the problem. Uh, Israel had a king. It was King Saul. And even bigger problem, King Saul wasn't doing a very good job at being king. So God had decided to replace him at some point in the future with David. And as David got older, he became a soldier in King Saul's army. He had a run-in with a giant named Goliath, and that established him as a natural leader. A natural leader, and David's popularity just continued to grow and grow and grow until at one point it outshadowed King Saul's popularity. And this is a problem. King Saul did not like that at all. And so King Saul's jealousy got the best of him, and he tried to kill David. He tried to kill him, and so David flees as a refugee. David, David flees because he doesn't want to be near King Saul because he cannot trust him because he tried to kill him. And since he was a natural leader, and now he's a fugitive, he began to have folks who were outlaws and fugitives begin to follow him. And so he had his own posse. He had his own army of people. So we find David with his army on the run in 1 Samuel. And this is what it says. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Verse 3 says, He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. So as Saul and his men were looking for David, he had to use the bathroom. All right? He had to use the bathroom. And so he finds a cave to use the bathroom, have some privacy, right? And wouldn't you know it, in some act of God, coincidence, or strange luck, it's the same cave that David and some of his men are hiding in. You see, David had gotten word that Saul and his men were out to get him. And so they scattered and ran and hid in some caves. And it just so happened that David had picked the hiding spot in a cave that King Saul had picked to use the bathroom in. It's an incredible moment, almost like a movie. So this is what happens. Saul walks into the cave. His eyes are still uh, kind of blurry from being out in the hot desert sun. And so he, it's super dark. So he doesn't see David and his men. And they, they begin to back up. They begin to back up into the back of the cave. And Saul turns around with his face toward the mouth of the cave. And he takes off his garments and begins using the bathroom. I mean, can you imagine what is going through David's head at this moment? Uh, is this a joke? The man that's trying to kill me, the king, the person standing in between me and the throne is here. 
right now in the same cave, no one else around him but me and my men, he's alone in the most vulnerable state he can be in. All I have to do, sneak up with my knife, easy, he's done, I killed him, I will be the king. Simple, right? I mean, even David's men, they recognize this moment as something that God must have orchestrated. He says this, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. This was the moment, easy decision, right? Simple decision, no tension, right? And so we see David, he gets his dagger and he creeps up behind Saul. I mean, can you blame him? It's obvious that this is what he's supposed to do. But David paused. He stopped for a moment. I think David felt that tension. I think he felt that tension. And David was wise enough to pay attention to the tension. Last week, Gerald talked about the legacy question. And I would encourage you to go on YouTube and find that series, uh, video and check it out. But essentially, all of your decisions one day will be a story you tell. The story of your life that you tell your, your kids and your grandkids, it will be a string of decisions that you have made. You have made. Good, bad, and ugly. And I believe in this moment, David understood that. He understood that one day he would be king. But if he became king by killing the current king, he would just be guilty of murder. He would be guilty of murder. It wasn't a fight. It wasn't a war. It wasn't self-defense. It was murder in cold blood on the toilet. I mean, what kind of legacy is that? Can you imagine his grandkids asking, Grandpa, Grandpa, tell us how you became the king of Israel. And David saying, well, I stabbed a man while he was going number two. I mean, what kind of legacy is that? So David has all these red flags popping up and he pays attention to them. He pays close attention to them. And in a moment of clarity and in self-control, he does not kill Saul. Rather, he cuts off the corner of his robe. That's how close he was. He cuts off the corner of his robe. And without Saul even knowing he was there, he takes the corner of cloth, the piece of cloth, and he heads back to the back of the cave. I mean, David's men must have been shocked. What are you thinking? You had your chance and you missed it. You missed it. And this is what he said. He said to his men, this is being David, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. He's saying, God put him there. Who am I to remove him? Who am I to remove him? If God wants me to be king, then God will make me king, but I will not kill the man, that, the previous man that God has made king. And then he rebuked his men. He said, do not touch him. Don't kill him. Don't harm him. 
The Lord has anointed him. And I would encourage you to, to continue reading the rest of that chapter. I mean, there's some very dramatic, incredible encounters and conversations that happen just a few verses later. But what we need to talk about right now, what you need to know and I need to know, is that David made the right decision. He made the right decision. He could have made a really bad decision, but he paid attention to the red flag and made a decision that honored Saul, God, and ultimately was good for him. And David, he, he became king. He became king. But in the cave, he didn't know what would happen. He had no clue what was going to happen. He just knew that something didn't feel right. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that what I'm about to do doesn't feel right. And so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take the risk and not do it. Maybe you're in a decision right now. And if you're not, you will be. You will be. Maybe you're a student right now watching this. There's going to be some hard decisions that you have to make. In high school, in college, in your 20s and 30s. I mean, I'm, I'm 31 and decisions have not gotten easier. I would assume they're not going to. You may not know your final outcome. When, when faced with a decision, you may not know what's going to happen. I've got a fork in the road of two things, maybe a job interview, maybe on a first date. And if you see those red flags, you got to pay attention to them. you got to pay attention to the tension. But you have to let that tension build up. You have to let that tension build up. You can't act now, act fast. You have to slow down. You have to pause. What about this bothers me? Pay attention to what's uncomfortable. Let what is bothering you bother you until you know why it's bothering you. I'm going to say that again because it's kind of a mouthful. Let what is bothering you bother you. Let it sit there. Soak in it for a little bit until you realize why it's bothering you. It may be God's way of protecting you. It may be God's way of showing you a better way, a better decision, a better option. God's way of clarifying what your story could look like. So when you're older, and your life is just a string of decisions that you're telling your grandkids. You know, ah, I felt that red flag. I didn't know the outcome, but I knew something didn't feel right. And look what God was showing me. This not only, this way of, of decision making, it not only connects us to better decisions. It actually connects us to God. It connects us to God. You see, before you and I were even born, there was tension. There was tension before we were even on this earth. Sin separated man and God. Separated to the point where there was nothing that we could do about it. There was nothing that, that we could do to earn or to work or to impress God. There was nothing that we could do to fix this tension until an incredible act happened. God acted in our darkest moment, 
In our lowest moment, he sent Jesus to resolve that tension. He sent Jesus to connect us to him. He sent Jesus to remove that gap between us. And he sent Jesus to give us the option to be near him. He resolved that tension for us. So let me say this to you. Let me say this. In your life, in your life, when you look back at your life right now, there may have been some, some tension that you didn't pay attention to. And you made some bad decisions. Maybe it was a job, a relationship, a marriage. Maybe it was a decision about school or college. The reality is this. You may have some pain and some guilt from that. You may have some shame that you feel from that. You may be paying for the bad decision you made years ago. But the hope that I want to share with you is that God can redeem that. God redeems our past and our present. He redeems it. A God who loves you and moved heaven and earth for you. He can work through your past. He can work through your present. He can work in spite of the bad decisions you have made. So you're not, you're not a slave to your bad decisions. And now, because of that, we not only have salvation, we not only have forgiveness and grace and hope, but we can move forward making decisions like David that honor the people around us, that honor God and are ultimately good for us. And while you look at red flags in your decisions, you can honor God by making the right choice. We can actually honor God by making good choices. In your life, you're going to feel some tension. You're going to see some red flags. You're going to feel some discomfort. And when you do, when you feel that something's not right, I encourage you to pause, to stop, to pay attention to it, to consider why it bothers you. This may be God's way of showing you the decision to make. And ultimately, this may be the way God is showing you how to be more like Jesus. God in his infinite wisdom can show us how to be more like Jesus through the decisions that you're facing right now. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for everyone who is hearing my voice right now. I pray that whatever they may be facing, maybe it's a tough decision, maybe it's the shame and the guilt from of a past decision. God, I just pray that they know in this moment that you love them. Despite of what they've done, that you love them and that you sent your son to die for them. I pray, God, that that we can begin to make better decisions. Not so that we look great. Not so that we can make more money 
or have more success or be more popular, but that we make good decisions to honor people around us, to love people well around us and to honor you. Thank you, God, for loving us so much and so well. In your sons and me pray. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.